Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com. Or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Hey there, friends. This is Jonathan Strickland. And before we get into today's episode, we just want to let you know that we get into some mature subject matter in this episode. But don't worry, we're just as immature as always. But we wanted to give you a heads up before the episode started so you can decide how you want to listen. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky stuff happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about it. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is the lovely, wonderful Jonathan Strickland. Hello. I'm both lovely and wonderful. It is truth. I'm also inquisitive because, Ariel, I got a question. Okay, Ariel. Here's your scenario, as the quizster would say. You get your pick to be in any musical playing the role of your choice. Which musical? Which role? Uh, I, I've already done it once, but I want to do it again. Winifred from Once Upon a Mattress. I just, I feel like that role just is me. Uh, <laughs> I ha- I got a chance to see you play that, and it was phenomenal. You did an amazing job. I absolutely adored your your take on Winifred. Um, 
Because you really do embody that whole shy personality. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I feel like it's a little bit of a cop out because, you know, I, I have played that role uh, previously, but on a smaller run. What about you? Oh, boy. I You know what? The actual answer changes like regularly because I'll go through phases where a certain musical will just hit me in a way where I, I just really want to be in it. So I always want to play either a rascal or an outright villain. So I, as I get older, the one that really I would love to play is Fagin from Oliver. He's a I fantastic character. I love singing his songs. I mean, I love reviewing the situation and, you know, you got to pick a pocket or two. He's a fun rascal of a villain. He's he's actually kind of a a, a semi sympathetic villain, I would say. Like at least he doesn't treat the kids as terribly as he does in the book. Yeah. So that's probably my answer. But others like Tenardier from Les Mis is another one. Rooster from Annie is another one. They're all rascals and scoundrels and villains. And uh, I love, I mean, I love a good villain song. Well, and you know, I, I had an acting coach tell me once that the best roles you play are the ones that are diametrically opposed to who you are in real life. So that just means that you are, in fact, lovely and wonderful in real life. Yeah, don't let it get around. I mean, you you, you introduced me that way already, but let's not ruin my rep, okay? Sure. Villain roles are a lot of fun. There's usually a lot of complexity to them, uh, and they do have wonderful songs. I think a good backup for me would be uh, Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors, if I'm going to pick one that I yeah. haven't played yet, officially. That's what a fantastic role, too. I mean, it's very different yeah. in the in the stage musical from the better-known movie adaptation, um, because I remember I actually went to the Plaza Theater because they were showing Little Shop of Horrors, but they were showing it with the deleted original ending, which follows the ending oh, of the stage okay. musical. And when we got to that moment, you could tell who in the theater had never seen the stage musical version. There was a lot of, there were a lot of upset people in that theater that night. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be prepared for that kind of an ending. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you've never seen it, uh, you kind of got to, prep yourself for it. Spoiler alert, it is not a happy ending. Yeah. Speaking of not so happy endings, well, actually, I don't know if this one will be or not. We're going to transfer into our news. And the first news story we wanted to talk about was whether there would be a Marvel DC Cinematic Universe crossover. Apparently, it's something people have been asking James Gunn about now that he has directed both a Marvel movie and a DC movie. Uh, and he's talked about it with the powers that be, but at this point, it's looking like it's pretty unlikely to happen. Yeah, he said that uh, according to the conversations, which were very casual, uh, it was something that he said, don't don't think of it as being impossible, just being extremely unlikely. However, he also said something else that I thought was really interesting and I thought we could probably unpack a little. And that was he has a concern that there's a certain population of like hardcore fans, geeks who are really into this stuff, who appear to be fixated on minutiae like Easter eggs and cameos to the exclusion of the underlying story of the films that those those things appear in. And I know that I've been guilty of that in the past. 
you know, mm-hmm. if you ever watch any sort of video where they're breaking down all the little tiny elements of a show like uh, like Loki, that's a great example that's going on right now. You know mm-hmm. it. You've seen it happen where they are looking at almost everything other than the actual story that's being told. And I imagine as a storyteller and filmmaker, that gets kind of frustrating because the the thing you've spent most of your time on is not the thing that most people are discussing. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree. I feel like, I feel like Easter egg should be the little bone that is thrown to the diehard fans to make them comfortable in the changes that have happened in the story. But if that's all they're focusing on, I, I mean, it's got to be frustrating as a filmmaker. And I guess it just depends on where your headspace is going into the movie, because I would also hope that if, if a story was strong enough that it would grab you. And so those things would just be little pop-up delights as opposed to be the thing that you're able to focus on. I completely agree. Like it's, it's a delicate line, right? Like the filmmaker and storytellers, they want to throw little fun bonus material for those who are extremely observant, who will get something out of it. But they don't want that little like amuse bouche to be taken as if that were the entire meal, for example. Um, yeah. And, and I, like I said, I've been guilty of this. I think it's part of fandom, right? Like you just really start to focus in on things that maybe were just meant to be a playful like nod to the fans, but not meant to be deconstructed to the point that they always are. So here's an example, and this is going to include spoilers for WandaVision. So if you haven't watched it, I was about to, I was just about to say WandaVision. So (laughs) WandaVision is like the perfect example. Like, first of all, WandaVision, I think is my favorite MCU product so far. Like the more I go back to it, the more I like it because Mm -hmm. it is such an incredible mixture of tone. There's a lot of comedy, but there's a ton of tragedy as well. It it deals with the concept of grief on a level that I thought was just beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a phenomenal show, but one of the things they do is they introduce a new Pietro, a new Quicksilver who is the Quicksilver or appears to be the Quicksilver from the Fox helmed X-Men series, the the Days of Future Past version of Quicksilver. And so for much of the the second half of that show, the implication is we're getting a a true multiverse moment, right? Like we're getting Mm -hmm. characters from a different branch of Marvel films that previously did not belong to Disney being Mm -hmm. incorporated into the MCU. And then of course it turns out that no, that was a red herring that it just happens to be a guy that had been, uh, hexed to believe he was Pietro. And Mm -hmm. we're, we're left to assume that this is just a grand coincidence that this guy happens to look like (laughs) the actor who played that same character, but in a different line of films. And Mm -hmm. That that I think is something that a lot of hardcore fans have trouble walking away from. Right. They it's hard for them to assume this isn't more meaningful. It isn't an implication that the the Fox version of Marvel characters are somehow going to infiltrate the Disney ones. Now, maybe they still will, but it's possible based on the end of WandaVision, 
we should assume that that was nothing more than just a very fun nod to fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually had a friend who hasn't watched WandaVision ask about this the other day. And I said, you know, it's just they're playing with their the concepts of the show at face value and at a meta level. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, a lot of people ha- were upset when that reveal wasn't what they wanted it to be, um, you know, but at a meta level, you got to think if you look at all of the stories in sci-fi and fantasy that deal with multiple universes, uh, like Star Trek Discovery, for instance, there are the same like physical forms of people in the different like universes in the in the different multiverses who play different roles. So uh, it could still even fit if the fans think about so this is going way down a rabbit hole, but it could still fit if if the fans are having a hard time letting go. As even though this version of this guy is not Pietro, that he might be in another multiverse uh, if he right. exists in multiple universes. Um, you know, I thought it was fantastic. I also think it's hard to let go because that version of Quicksilver was phenomenal. Just so much fun. Mm-hmm. And just to have that version of Quicksilver to be able to play with uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany was great. And I can understand how people want more of that. It did distract a lot of people from what was actually going on in the story. And the story itself, as you said, was very it, – it handled a lot of concepts that are harder to handle, like grief, very well. Um, it made them very accessible, and it was just a really good overall story and a great setup for the next phase of the MCU. Yeah. I would argue that in that case, though, the WandaVision show creators knew what they were doing. Like, yeah. it was – that one was a little more cheeky. Like, it, it felt almost like a – this is going to be a reference that some listeners just aren't going to get. It was like an Andy Kaufman-esque trick on the audience, right? It was almost it was. a bait and switch kind of thing. Um, so like that that one, I would, I would argue like the show creators get what they deserve in the sense of like fan reaction, because it was, it's more than just putting Howard the Duck as a cutaway gag in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Like that, that just opens up the possibility of a Howard the Duck movie in the future, which I know has Ariel really excited because she, for some reason, loves that god awful movie. Uh, Love, love is okay. It's apt. I was going to say it's a strong (laughs) word, but it's apt. It's, it's not a good movie. There are some very disturbing moments in it, but it's also hilariously bad. Uh, but you know, even still, I loved, I, I love all the little like Howard the Duck nuggets they stick in, but it doesn't detract from the greater story. I think James Gunn is like the king of putting in, uh, Easter eggs and other characters without detracting from the story, which uh, there's so much of it in the Guardians of the Galaxy. And that really makes me excited for the Suicide Squad movie, which I mean, that's again, that's bringing us full circle, right? Because James Gunn directed the first two guardians of the galaxy movies. He's directing the third one after there was that whole kerfuffle. Then he's also, he's the director of the new suicide squad movie that's coming out. So that's kind of why this sort of discussion even happens for the whole crossover thing. Mm -hmm. And I think a crossover would be cool, but at the same time, you're like, what's the story you want to tell? I mean, honestly, with both DC and Marvel, there's an opportunity there because within DC, we're getting the flashpoint storyline, which involves mm-hmm. multiple realities. And in Marvel, we've got the multiverse storyline. 
you could argue that we're in the perfect time to have some form of crossover, but you'd have to figure out how to craft a story that would service that idea well so that yeah. it's not just, hey, let's take Freddy and put him with Jason because we got that yeah. movie and it was terrible. I agree. I agree. And tonally, both both universes are very, very different. So I, I feel like they would almost it would have to like pull Ezra Miller's Flash with mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, Doctor Strange into Deadpool. And I feel like that's the only way you can get that crossover done, because Deadpool is the only thing that matches the tone of both cinematic universes. Let me throw this to you, though, Ariel. I'm going to throw something out at you because you know, we're spending a lot of time on this topic and this kind of ties into one of the stories we were going to cover, which is that there were some uh, behind the scenes, like paparazzi style photos of Michael Keaton as Batman in the new Mm -hmm. flash film as it's filming. Uh, Imagine this Ariel, if you will, a multiverse matchover of DC and Marvel in which Michael Keaton as Batman faces off against Michael Keaton as vulture. That, is the best thing I've ever heard of. And I want to watch that so bad because Michael Keaton's version of Batman is already, it's dark, but it is tongue in cheek. And I feel like it would be a, an, an easy transition to the MCU. Yeah. I, I um, think, uh, I think it would be, Oh my gosh. Just saying that like, uh, okay, I don't ever need it to happen. I want to be clear. Uh-huh. I don't ever need this to <laughs> actually happen, but the thought of it possibly happening it sparks the exact same geek love that also feeds into this problem. We're talking about about fixating on cameos and little Easter eggs and that kind of thing. So I get it. I get it. And uh, like my heart goes out to James Gunn because the dude is a great storyteller. I very much enjoy his takes and, um, uh, and I want to enjoy the stories he's telling on that full storytelling level and not fixate on these tiny little details. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I can't help it. It's just that it's just part of that geek love. I think is that we do have this tendency to speculate and fixate on things. And sometimes that's to the detriment of our enjoyment of the whole story. I, I agree. Um, along those lines, I just want to say, while we, you know, we've got this story in our lineup to talk about, uh, Michael Keaton as Batman and some costumes coming out from on the set pictures. I'm generally not super into on the set pictures. I figure when the studio is ready to release their, their news, we'll get it. And usually in a better form than leaks, but uh, the, it also came out with pictures of Supergirl's costume, which is bright and beautiful. And I love it. It's got some amazing detail on it. So I'm very excited about that. It just continues to excite me about Supergirl. Yeah. And, you know, DC also just James Gunn along those lines. We aren't really going to dive into it, but there's a new uh, Suicide Squad trailer out and the cast unofficially leaked this trailer. But I'm pretty sure everybody knew it was going to happen as a publicity stunt. So it's kind of like when uh, Marvel did the thing with the third Spider-Man film Mm -hmm. and and they quote unquote leaked the subtitle and it was three different subtitles kind of implying the whole multiverse attachment again, um, or spider verse in that case attachment. I think that was fun. I actually really like those kind of creative marketing campaigns where they are getting a little cheeky and having fun with it. That trailer 
it still makes me want to see Suicide Squad. It still looks like it's going to be action packed and filled with weird, irreverent humor. Yes. I have a feeling yeah. that King Shark's going to be my favorite character, but we'll see. <laughs> I, I love I love King Shark and the Polka Dot Man. Those are going to be my two faves. We'll have to see. Maybe we'll see that one together. We never watch movies together, so maybe we'll have to do that. Like, yes. like pick a time and we'll both go and see it. I would love to do that. Excellent. Well, that's a great way for us to segue into our next section. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to have a full discussion again. But this time it'll be about a slightly different topic. And it's going to be about the crazy ratings of films, as in like, you know, the MPAA ratings. We're going to talk about that when we come back after this quick break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable and with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. 
access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. So, uh, Ariel, you picked this discussion topic, which is fantastic. It's one that comes up every now and again, but it's about how movie ratings and the strategy that studios take when they plan out their films, uh, how odd it is and how unpredictable it can be. And that there seem to be films that get a rating that on retrospect, you might look at and think like, how the heck did this land that rating when it feels like it should be a totally different one? Yes. And I actually wanted to have this conversation a couple of weeks ago when the powers behind Deadpool said that, yeah, we think we could do a PG-13 Deadpool to fit it into the MCU. Because to me, like so much of Deadpool's humor is just rated R. And I I wasn't sure how well that would fly. But then it came back up this week because The Hunchback of Notre Dame, yes, that quasi-beloved uh, Disney cartoon by what? some people turned. I, I still haven't seen it. Quasi? Quasi? Oh, yeah, it's uh, very turned- cute, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, turned 25 this week. I think I've seen the whole movie, but not all the way through. Um, mm. But it came up because it's a rated G movie that is exceptionally dark for mm. a rated G movie. The New York Times calls it the most R-rated G movie you'll ever see. So figured it would be a great time to actually talk about this. Yeah. Uh, and this is a, a weird, a weird topic. There's one documentary that really tackled this called this movie is not yet rated. That documentary came out more than, I don't know, like maybe 20 years ago at this point. I I honestly can't remember, but Mm -hmm. it went through how the whole process of getting your film rated by the motion picture association of America or MPAA, how that is a, an obscure dark process and how like inherently unfair it is in many ways. So for example, at least traditionally, I don't know if this has changed uh, since then, but traditionally when you would submit your film to the MPAA to get a rating, you were not allowed to do things like cite other films that were similar to yours and argue that that's why your film should get the same rating as another film, which is bizarre to me, right? Like. If you were to submit your film and the MPAA came back and said, okay, well, this has to be R-rated for these reasons. And they give you like a bullet list of the things that make it an R-rated movie. And if you were to then say, but you gave this other movie PG-13 and it has exactly the same elements that you cite as the problem for my film, you're not allowed to do that. You can't use, you know, prior art in that case as an argument to to justify a change in rating what you have to do is what you're supposed to do anyway is to go back if you want a different rating go back edit your film to a new edit submit it again and see if you can get it changed there have been cases where filmmakers have allegedly submitted the exact same cut 
to the MPAA and got a different rating at the end of it. So this is an imperfect system from top to bottom. I can almost see the logic behind it, which is, you know, contextually, let's say you've got a swear word in, in both movies, right? But how and where it's used contextually might differ, which might change how poignant they feel that is towards the rating. Um, but yeah, the fact that you can submit, it also makes it very subjective. The fact that you can submit the same movie twice and get two different ratings, um, it feels like there's not much of like in an actual scale. But at the same time, if you say, well, this movie did it, and they did it in a less offensive way, <laughs> then that scale slowly starts sliding. And, you know, the New York Times also said that PG today is what G was in the 1990s. So, you know, that scale already is sliding. Some families are becoming, you can only get a G rating if there is nothing that would be morally objectionable to a family in your movie, pretty much. And so, like, that scale has shifted over the years. Yeah. No, that's that's a great point. It's like uh, some of these ratings depend upon the the cultural mores that were existent when that film were, you know, film was first released. Like did you know that that Stanley Kubrick's 2001 was rated G? I did not. And that involves oh. a computer that's trying to kill people and does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, you know, me watching it as an adult, because I certainly did not appreciate it as a child. Uh, well, <laughs> if it, It's disturbing, but I, I can't really see, other than that robot, I can't, maybe I would have given it a PG rating. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's another question. So do you know when PG-13, when that, that uh, rating was introduced? I do, because I researched it for this episode. It was 1984 for Red Dawn, correct? Yeah, and do you know the two movies that preceded PG-13 that kind of prompted the discussion? Steven Spielberg famously talked with the MPAA about creating a new designation between the ratings of PG and R for films that kind of fell in that area because there were there were a lot of movies coming out where you would say, "All right, this might be a little intense even for parental guidance," like because people had come to associate parental guidance meaning you know, not G rated, but still pretty tame. And there uh, were movies that were coming out that were pushing movies. that. Okay. So they were, and this is some trivia. This is great bar trivia, by the way. So if you ever get this question about what were the two movies that prompted the discussion for PG 13, they were two movies that Steven Spielberg was uh, actually connected to as a producer. Gremlins was one of them. Okay, I can and, see that, yeah. And Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was the other one, which was the I, darkest of the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can totally see that. Both of those movies, I would assume, were PG-13. Yeah, and um, it's, the only reason they weren't is because they predated the PG-13 designation. But th that was a good example of how these are movies that weren't so extreme that they should be R-rated. Like if you were, you know, 15 years old, then you could probably totally handle all the stuff that's in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, even when they pull a heart out of a guy's chest. Uh, but, you know, it's it's that's definitely more extreme than what you would consider just for a normal PG film. So, yeah, it was what is what prompted that discussion. And it and again, it shows exactly what the point you were making, Ariel, that 
this is a, a fully subjective process and you can ask the same group of people on two different days to give you a rating for the exact same piece of art. And you might get two different responses based on where those people are on those given days. And it can be a very frustrating experience for a movie studio or a filmmaker who uh, wants to tell a story a very specific way. And then they find out that perhaps the rating that they're going to get is going to uh, give a restriction on how many people can see it. So for another example is that movies that are so intense or extreme that they get an NC 17 rating or back in the old days, a triple X rating, which typically we associate with, with material that is pornographic in nature, but Mm -hmm. there have been mainstream films that did not include pornography that still got that rating because they had such intensity in their sequences. Maybe they had a lot of drug use or maybe there was a lot of violence or a lot of Mm -hmm. very foul language or some combination thereof. And back in the old days, like there were entire there were there are theater chains that just have a blanket policy that they will not show any film that has that rating. Right. You might want to go unrated and not even submit your film to the MPAA and have a better shot of at least getting some theaters to show it. So there's a lot of money involved in this, too. The idea of. We don't want to restrict how many theaters can actually uh, screen this film. And and that becomes a big part of the conversation. It's also why you had this slate of lame horror movies. <laughs> they were all rated PG-13 mm-hmm. because the studio really wanted to hit as wide an audience as possible. We started to see that shift a few years ago as one studios realized that the R rated horror movies were what fans were asking for. They wanted those more intense horror films Mm -hmm. and two kids were still going to the theaters and seeing these movies anyway. So it just made more sense to go ahead and like the R rating became almost a way of marketing your film to say, this is the real horror, right? It's not that watered down stuff. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because studios will put in, you know, a little bit extra just to make it R sometimes, even if the story really is PG-13 or Mm -hmm. in the case of Deadpool might take out some of the swearing to make it PG-13 so that it fits within, but still try to get that R feel. And I just like, I understand you got to play nice with the sensors, but at the same time, I feel like, are you much like the crossovers? Are you really serving your story at that point? That's a, that's a great question. And yeah, it starts to get very cynical, right? Like you start to say, mm-hmm. are you making these changes because it's right for the story you want to tell? Or are you just making it just so that you can get it into more theaters or get more eyeballs on it? In some cases, it becomes almost like a publicity stunt in itself. Like when Deadpool released the 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 family friendly version of Deadpool <laughs> 2, that was felt like it was more of a publicity stunt than an, a genuine attempt mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a meta commentary, right? And you can do it in creative ways that are kind of interesting, but I don't know, man, it's a complicated topic and Mm -hmm. one that involves art and commerce and politics and subjectivity. And, you know, this, this organization that has long resisted any attempts to have transparency in their process Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's just a really weird 
world. And it has to be a constant frustration for screenwriters and directors in particular. Movie studios to an extent, but I'm sure for the people who are actually making these movies, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, and and the transparency is really the part that gets me because I, I have to imagine for anybody who's rating a movie, that is also a frustration for them because at the audience level, what I am okay with in a PG-13 movie is not the same as what you are okay with in a PG-13 movie, more than likely. Um, you know, and so like, for instance, when Forrest Gump came out and my family took me to see it, they felt that that movie should have been closer to an R rating than a PG-13 rating because of some of the subject matter that was in it. Um, you know, but other people were like, well, I thought it was closer to a PG movie. So it's just, just got to be frustrating for everybody involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think about some of the movies I grew up watching that were PG or sometimes G rated films that in retrospect, I would say the only reason you can get away with that rating is only because the subject matter might have gone over the heads of the kids who saw it. So here's an example. Mm -hmm. The movie musical version of Grease, I'm sure is just PG. But if you really are paying attention <laughs> to that movie, there's subject matter in there that is like heavy stuff. Um, it, but the way it's treated is very light and it goes over the heads of kids. So I guess you could mm -hmm. argue that because kids wouldn't understand the implications of things like you know, the the pressures of premarital sex and potential unplanned pregnancies and discussions about what to do in the event of a pregnancy. And and there's like suggestions of especially for Greece, too. There's suggestions of like date rape and stuff like it's dark stuff when you really think about it. But because of the way it's presented and the way that kids absorb inf information, it might mean that that stuff just totally is a whiff you know, for the kids. Mm -hmm. And so why not call it PG? I guess uh, it also yeah. points to cultural issues, right? Like the fact that back when Greece two came out, uh, it was a far less aware and sophisticated culture and things like date rape were not treated with the level of seriousness that they absolutely mm -hmm. should be treated. And so it's just a, a, you could argue it was a different world as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think this has been a really fantastic conversation. I think we could talk about it for hours more with different examples. For instance, I'm pretty sure I watched Barbarella as a child and did not realize till I was an adult how unchild friendly that was. Um, I mean, that, that, that opens with a nude woman floating in space. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my my imagination playing tricks on me. But, you know, obviously it all went over my head if that's actually a thing I did and not just something I've made up in my imagination. It also makes me wonder, like, should there eventually be a way of re-examining films and re-rating them, like rating them again in the in the context of the modern sensibilities? Because you could argue that what was PG for one era isn't really PG for another. And should that be something that we look at? I, honestly, I don't know. It's, it's a very mm -hmm. complicated thing. I can see the pros and cons of both sides. Uh, part of me yeah. says, just leave it alone. But another part of me says, but let's say that I'm a parent and I'm trying to make a decision about whether or not a, a piece of, of media that was made years ago would be appropriate for my kid. Uh, I mean, I guess the, thing to do is to just watch it on your own and make that decision. But like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's complicated. 
With older movies, uh, even with new movies, but new movie is hard because you want to avoid spoilers. But there are other rating systems that will tell you how much sexual activity, how much drug use, how much violence, how much language there is in any given movie and even up to topics so that you can make a more itemized decision for your children. Um, I'm sure if you're a parent, you already know that. But I would say that would be the way to go in the future, exception of the fact that for a lot of like scarier movies or suspense or mysteries, that's going to ruin a lot of the plot. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a sticky yeah. wicket. It is. Uh, I'm glad we had this discussion and we're going to take another break. And Ariel, uh, what's happening when we come back? Which which relates, by the way, both to our first discussion and the one we just had. Yeah, we're going to cross over some Deadpool rated R with some Paddington, which I was surprised to find out was actually PG, not G. Well, you're going to do Paddington. I'm doing oh, something Yeah, with else. a children's story. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Okay, so we're back, and uh, like I said, we're going to mash up Deadpool with some children's beloved stories, and I picked Paddington Bear, which is a story about a bear who travels from darkest Peru to London and is adopted by a family at the Paddington train station, um, and about his adventures in London and his eating marmalade sandwiches. It's it's lovely. It's endearing. Uh, they made a movie about it in 2014, and then a second movie about it later on, both of which got really great reviews by children and adults like i i feel like and i watched the second movie before the first i feel like that a really good job of balancing comedy with uh story and and making it accessible and enjoyable by everyone uh i found out after picking this mashup uh because paddington a few weeks ago lost its 100 percent fresh rating uh due to one reviewer uh that apparently both Deadpool and Paddington got uh, nominated for a People's Choice Award and had a social media war. Uh, Which back was in adorable. It was adorable. Uh, you know, Deadpool being very unfamily friendly and Paddington giving hard stares. So I didn't know that when I wrote this mashup, uh, <laughs> but here goes. This is called Paddington Pool. You all know the story of Paddington Bear. You know, the one where he stows away on a cargo ship from Darkest Peru to London and is taken in by the Brown family who found him at Paddington Station and named him after the same. You do, because I just told you about it. You might even remember that in the 2014 documentary about his life, he fought a taxidermist named Millicent Clyde who snuck into his home attempting to kidnap and stuff him. And during that fight, he started a kitchen fire. But what you don't know is that the documentary didn't tell the whole truth. A bunch of marmalade and taco seasoning ignited in that kitchen fire and it burnt the top of Paddington's head and knocked him unconscious. That enabled Millicent to capture him and bring her back to her studio to do her dark work. She stuffed and mounted him to put him in the Natural History Museum the following day. I know this is really dark. Jonathan's making faces at me. And she thought that was that. But after she went home that night, something remarkable happened. Paddington Bear regenerated with a vengeance and a hankering for marmalade chimichangas. Now he was this weird abomination of real and stuffed bear with that scarred head from the kitchen fire. He stepped off his pedestal, did a hard stare into a mirror at his scarred head, and then looked out into space as if addressing an unseen audience and said, well, at least I'm not animated or green. Then he grabbed his prized hat off a nearby table, used some taxidermy shears to cut out some eye holes from the back brim and pulled it over his face. Then... He once again turned to the invisible audience and said, Close your eyes, kids. Patty's going to exact some vengeance. And off he set to find Millicent and make her pay, stopping only at a Mexican food cart for a snack along the way. 
When Paddington got to Millicent's house, he chased her to the roof. Once he had her cornered on the edge of the roof, he pulled out the marmalade chimichanga that he had grabbed at the food cart from under his hat mask, because all good bears keep a marmalade sandwich under their hat mask, and yes, a chimichanga is a sandwich, I will fight you on this, and he threw it at Millicent, knocking her off the roof. But as she fell, she grabbed Paddington's arm and it ripped off his body. Paddington shouted an expletive that is not suitable for documentary nor children's entertainment, and then looked off the roof to see that Millicent had fallen unconscious but alive into some shrubs below. Paddington went into her home and called the cops on her, turning once again to the invisible audience to say, what did you think would have happened? I'm a bear, not a criminal, before going outside to grab his arm back from the unconscious Millicent and limping home to crawl into bed. The next morning when Paddington awoke, he realized that his arm had restitched itself to his body, good as new. His head was still scarred, though, so he put on his hat to hide it and went down to meet the Browns for breakfast. And they were none the wiser. Ever since that day, Paddington has lived his sweet family life during the day and gone out to fight crime as a snarky-mouthed merc with the marmalade at night. Hunting down criminals, ne'er-do-wells, and nosy neighbors with great success, telling the Browns that he was going to visit his Aunt Lucy so they wouldn't catch on. Until last week, when he disappeared, along with half of London's orange preserves and flour tortillas. It's rumored in underground circles that he has traveled to Peru to hunt down the deadly T-Ray, the most feared of all dinosaurs that lives in the Peruvian jungle and killed his family. The whole reason he traveled to London in the first place. Wow. I should have warned that maybe that wasn't family friendly, but this whole episode is not family friendly. (laughs) I, um, so I don't know if you listeners will hear it because Tari is an amazing producer, but Ariel actually had to stop and do a second take of part of that. Because I was laughing too hard. Oh, no, I didn't mind you laughing. I, I distracted myself and stumbled over the words then. But the, <laughs> the, the, the Merc with Marmalade just totally took me by surprise and I lost it. Uh, it was a fantastic joke. Really well Thank done. Way darker than I anticipated and super dark compared to mine. Well, okay. But you're going second then. <laughs> yeah. So mine is Deadpool and Muppet Babies. And just as a a backdrop for people who aren't familiar, uh, although you might be because there's a a new Muppet Babies series that's going now on on like Disney Junior and stuff. Ariel's making faces. I don't Uh, like it. Does that mean that you you don't you don't approve of the reboot Muppet Babies? It's fine. I just don't like it. That's fair. So Muppet Babies started out kind of as a, a joint thing because Muppets Take Manhattan. The third of the original Muppet films came out in 1984 and had a fantasy sequence, uh, the Muppets as babies all singing music together. Mm -hmm. And then there was an animated series that came out that same year that featured the adventures of the Muppets as babies. That one ran from 1984 to 1991. Then in 2018, we got the computer animated reboot of Muppet Babies that runs on like Disney Channel and Disney Junior. I'm mostly focusing, in fact, I'm, really focusing on the 1984 version because that was the one that was out when I was a kid. So this one's just called baby Deadpool. And uh, here we go. It's uh, let's get started. Nanny has a problem. She's in charge of looking after a group of curious, inventive and mischievous babies. They include Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Animal, Scooter, Skeeter, Ralph the Dog and Gonzo. And now there's a new baby joining the group, the 
little baby Deadpool with his cute little baby toy katanas and baby bubble handguns. Baby Deadpool fits right in. Like baby Gonzo, he has a habit of breaking the fourth wall, and Deadpool and Gonzo become best pals. But baby Deadpool does tend to get on Kermit's nerves, as Deadpool finds that winding up baby Kermit to be one of the most satisfying forms of entertainment there is. Baby Deadpool also points out, repeatedly, that they are all subject to the Great Mouse, which confuses the other babies. And then he says, well, see, through a series of acquisitions and mergers, the Walt Disney Company came into possession of both of Jim Henson Productions and Marvel Comics, not to mention 21st Century Fox, and so we all serve the same rodent overlord. Then he spikes the camera. As will we all. They're coming for you, too. I mean you, audience. You watching this. Disney is coming for you, too. If they don't own you already. And let's face it, they probably do. Then he winks. That was weird, says Miss Piggy. When Nanny leaves the room, the group decides that it's time to play pretend. Baby Deadpool suggests that they all pretend to break into a top-secret laboratory in Canada, a facility called Weapon X, run by the nefarious Department K. Baby Deadpool reveals that that's where he's from. Fozzie is to take on the role of a secret experiment known as Bear Verine, whom the others must help escape the dangerous facility. Kermit is Gambit, because the names are similar. Miss Piggy is Rogue. Scooter is Cyclops, Skeeter is Dazzler, Ralph is Beast, Gonzo is Nightcrawler, and Baby Bunsen Honeydew visits and becomes Professor X, giving instructions to the group. Beaker is, I don't know, Banshee, but Honeydew and Beaker <laughs> stay behind so they don't really like factor into the rest of the story. We see the fantasy play out with Miss Piggy taking up way too much time showing off her winter outfit designed specifically to navigate through the frozen north and the team makes their way to this remote facility in Canada, staring at it from far away and taking note of their defenses. Among those defenses is a big furry guy, played by Baby Sweetums, whom they recognize as Sabretooth. Baby Deadpool takes the lead and brings the other Muppets down to confront Sabretooth, challenging him to a game of freeze tag. And they play, with Sabretooth getting really frustrated because Gonzo Nightcrawler just keeps teleporting out of the way at the last second, and Gonzo and Deadpool manage to trick Sabretooth into running out onto the surface of a frozen lake, and the ice cracks under his weight, and he splashes down becomes a giant ice cube, and the heroes continue on into the facility. The Muppets use their amazing powers to bypass security and trick guards into playing games like hopscotch and checkers. Everybody gets a moment. Kermit slash Gambit causes a doorknob to blow up so they can get through a locked door. Scooter slash Cyclops blasts a snowman just outside the facility that turns out to be a security camera. Skeeter slash Dazzler distracts some guards with a pretty light display. Ralph slash Beast climbs up on the ceiling and drops a piano on a robot sentry. And Miss Piggy goes rogue all over a group of no fewer than 15 guards reducing them to a pile of broken bones and sobbing bodies. Baby Deadpool is really impressed. They continue to search for Bear Verine when they encounter Baby Sam Eagle, who introduces himself as Lex Luthor. Sam, says Kermit, that's the wrong comic book company. Yeah, even Disney won't be able to clear this, says Miss Piggy. 
Hey guys, says Gonzo, looking at a newspaper vending machine that for some reason is in the middle of the Weapon X facility. Says here, Disney just bought Warner Brothers. Huh, says Baby Deadpool. Welcome to the family. And then he blasts Sam the Eagle with his bubble handguns, which appears to do the trick and clears the way. They make their way into the core of Weapon X and discover something incredible. Bear Vereen isn't a captive. He is the captor. He's not being held against his will at all. Instead, he's making the rest of the facility listen to his quote-unquote tight 45-minute stand-up act, which might be the most torturous thing anyone has ever experienced. Realizing that their rescue attempt is now a humanitarian mission, the team managed to kidnap Bear Vereen and get him out of the facility, much to the relief of the other residents of Weapon X. They all head back home to form a cohesive team, called the X-Babies, though Deadpool decides he's not really ready to commit to a team full-time, and that's when Nanny comes back in and explains it's time for baby Deadpool to head home. The end. That was lovely. It did get, it did get a little dark at one point. I mean, Miss Piggy is a force of dangerous reckoning. I mean, always, always. That was delightful. Yeah, I had a, I had a lot of fun with that. And I honestly, so I wrote this before I actually looked at all the different stories in our lineup. So I didn't even see the the Marvel DC crossover. So again, <laughs> just an amazing coincidence that I wrote yeah. a joke about a Marvel DC crossover. <laughs> You're just that brilliant, Jonathan. I'm just that predictable. Well, <laughs> that's our mashup approach to merging Deadpool with a a work of uh, a media that's intended for children. Um, if you have your own versions, we would love to hear them. You can always email us. The email address is lnc at iheartmedia.com. Or you can get in touch with us on the social medias. Over on Twitter, we are LNC underscore podcast. On Facebook and Instagram, we're Large Nerdron Collider. And of course, we have our website, uh, largenerdroncollider.com. That's where you can find show notes and links to the stories we cover. Sometimes we even include links to stories that we didn't get a chance to cover. Yeah, we might do that this week because we're going to talk about more stuff, but we're just very long-winded. If you send us a, a mashup and we like it, we'll even read it on an episode. Also, please make sure to tell your friends if you like us. Make sure to rate and review us. Uh, you know, word of mouth is how we grow our geeky family. And man, do we love you. Yes, we do. And until next time, I am Jonathan Deadpool Strickland. And I am Ariel Marmalade Caston. Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. The show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. 
rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.